Hello and welcome to Recovery Internet Radio, brought to you direct from Straight Stuff Studios. Uh, we've got a few mentions here tonight. Before we get going, we just want to say, uh, you know, give a quick shout out to some of our friends. Uh, let's see, we got Double Take Band. Double Take? The yeah, band? Just Double Take, yeah. Just Double Take. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, we'll shorten it up. Double Take. Double Take. Yeah, they're fantastic. Check out uh, Double Take Chicago. DoubleTakeChicago.com. Yeah. Uh, they've got a list of all their upcoming uh, upcoming venues. Uh, good time. You know, go see a concert this summer. They're, they're a great band. Uh, they do a lot of fun music, so check them out. also like to mention Sidekicks Mentoring, which if you were in McHenry a couple of weeks ago at the Fiesta Day Parade, you, uh, you, you might have seen us. We were in the yellow shirts. Anyway, uh, Sidekicks is a youth mentoring program, no-cost volunteer program, uh, designed to offer structure and support for maintaining a healthy, sober lifestyle. So it's a, it's a good thing. We're looking for uh, we're looking for mentors. If you want to volunteer your time, your efforts, your skills, um, we're we're taking all anybody that's looking. We'd be happy to have your help. And if you know somebody that's in need of mentoring, that's really that's really the whole point there, isn't it? So uh, send them send them our way. You can give us a call at eight one five four five one seven six four one, or check out more information about it at sidekicksmentoring.org. dot org. Dot org. Not yeah, dot we're not for, we're, you know, not for profit, whole bit, and all that jazz. Yeah. So, uh, with that being said, I'd like to pass it over to uh, Mr. Rick Atwater, the the host of the most here. <laughs> Thanks, and I do have the most, absolutely. So, most, well, uh, I have sure. a couple of things <laughs> before, yeah. before we before we uh, get get going. We we have mentioned for the last couple of weeks we've got a new uh, we're, we're linked to a new uh, website. Um, uh, and it's drugdangers.com. Is that the is that our is that our guy? That is it. Yeah, it's uh, drugdangers.com forward slash drug addiction. But you can just click the link. It's under drug dangers on our website under the yeah. links page. Yeah, we just linked up with them. And if anybody has links that they think we should have, and we're going to add thanks to our guest today, we're going to add some additional links to the to our website. So you know, resource the resource part of our website. So. Um, continue to watch that, and also, if you think that there's something that needs to be yeah, on there, let uh-huh. us know, or send us your link request. Yeah, you got a, you got a direct line because I'm the one that has to update the website. So there you go. Easy enough. You go, you call me, I'll put it there. There you okay. go. Done and done. Well, we'll take a vote. There's two of us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't I have a vote? Yeah. No. no, the vote is Rick says, yeah, we're going to do that. So yeah. put it up there. That's so usually, I say, okay, I'll do it. That's usually how it goes. Yeah. And then I'm I'm going to see if I can get this right. Um, we have a new Twitter friend, uh, Pat Perez, um, who is a PGA golfer, a friend of ours, who's got like an enormous uh, uh, Twitter following. Yes, he is, and yes, he does. And I was thinking about that. I think if How's... he mentioned us, that would really be the way to go. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. we're getting the word out to a few. You yeah, know, if he, we're mentioning if he, you know, him. So, Pat, if you're listening, you know, feel free to mention Recovery Internet Radio uh, on your Twitter feed. Anytime. Yeah, there you go. Anytime. Okay, that's how that works. That's how that works. Okay. Yeah, yeah you know how confused I get about this social media there's, stuff. There's, there's okay. All right. Tweets so, and twits and who knows. All right. So, enough of that. Um, <laughs> so, basically, uh, so let me welcome you again to Recovery Internet Radio, um, where we are uh Every Sunday night at eight o'clock, and uh, tonight the tag is recovery from sexual addiction, and our guest is Bob. Um, and uh, I also want to thank Chris for the engineering uh, tasks that he does, and website, webmaster, <laughs> social media maven, uh, 
What else do you do? I don't. I don't usually go by Maven, but no, I'll take Maven it. Yeah. Is more of a <laughs> yeah. I keep the wheels turning. I do yeah. what I, I. I work behind the scenes. Oh, and we have a we have a uh, uh, we have a, a Twitter account. Which we is, certainly do. That's at Rick Atwater. Yeah. Nice and easy. Also, our Facebook is Recovery Internet Radio on Facebook. So okay. feel free to like us there. Okay. I usually post the link to the shows there too, if that's easier for you to keep up with. Okay, that's good to know. And then. You can listen to us live through Blog Talk Radio with the link that we send out, or you can go to recoveryinternetradio.com. Absolutely. It's recoveryinternetradio.com. Listen to all our past archive shows. Listen live on Sunday nights. Um, sign up for RSS feed or get it downloaded straight to your iDevice through the iTunes library. You can subscribe to our weekly podcast. God, you can get to us just from from just about anywhere. You can't walk down the street life. without running into our a, show. No. Yeah, if you've got a smartphone, swing a dead cat I, and bang. Not going through doors and locks either. I know. You just walk. You, you, you can, can walk into walk the studio in right now. <laughs> you could. You could call. You could twit. You could. You no. could. We twit. Sure. You, you could, could twit. be a twit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there we have it. All right, let's okay, get to business here. Come on. Down to, let's get down to business. I don't know what we were thinking here, but. Um, Recovery from sexual addiction, and our and our guest Bob, thanks for coming. You're welcome. Man. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate this. I uh, yeah, and we you know so you know it's uh, it's it's uh, to me I I'm I'm really pleased to have you because it's it's not an easy thing to talk about for you know it's not you know it's not quite like uh, other addictive related things where you know it's pretty you know it's out there you know every. Uh, uh, you know, every star has been in rehab twice and all that kind of thing. But we don't hear about sexual addiction. So it's a little, you know, it's a little tougher to talk about. So I appreciate the the uh, uh, courage, actually, that it takes to get yourself here. So let's talk about, let's first talk about what it is. You know, maybe you could give us a just your idea of a definition of sexual addiction so people can. Sure, sure. And again, uh, my name is Bob and I am a sex addict. Mm-hmm. Uh, I often in meetings, call myself a sexaholic mm-hmm. or a sex and love addict. Okay. Uh, as we were talking about earlier before the show, there are actually four different uh, programs of recovery, all of which are 12-step based, mm-hmm. based on the original 12 steps out of Alcoholics Anonymous. Okay. And uh, we'll have a list of those on the website soon, which I'm yeah. really grateful that you're, you're doing that for us. Yeah, um, absolutely. The, uh, the two that I'm most directly involved with are... Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous mm-hmm. and Sexaholics Anonymous. Okay. The other two that are available are Sex Addicts Anonymous and Sexual Compulsives Anonymous. Okay. Now, neither of which of those I've, I've attended, so I really can't comment on those. Okay. Uh, the the idea of what how I would define a sexual addiction, as you know, Rick, I'm also involved with Alcoholics Anonymous. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, much like in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, they talk about drinking as being just a symptom. Mm-hmm. The sexual acting out is really just a symptom for me, too. Okay. Um, what, it, what it comes down to is that so many of the things I do, mm-hmm. uh, whether it's looking at pictures, whether they're pornographic, mm-hmm. or even just pictures of a woman fully clothed, mm-hmm. it's what my mind does with this. I get you. And, and where I go with it and how often. Mm-hmm. But it really comes down to really none of that except the word powerlessness. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first step talks about powerlessness. It talks about unmanageability. And my use and abuse of pictures and masturbation and mm-hmm. inappropriate behavior with women mm-hmm. um, became something that I couldn't quit on my own. 
And so that's, I think, so true of just about any addiction that I've ever run into. And, of course, I am the proud owner of more than one. <laughs> <laughs> Got a whole collection. Just, yeah, yeah. yeah. wonderful. Right. I'm truly a garbage head. I mean, I just, you know, whatever it takes me out <laughs> of the moment is really a good way to go. So for me, to answer your question, is, is the powerlessness. You know, I came to a point where I realized that I couldn't stop looking at pornography. Mm-hmm. And my masturbation became compulsive. Mm-hmm. And it was something that while I tried to, just like my drinking, I tried to control it. I tried to minimize it. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it there, there came a day where I realized I could not quit this. Way. And I think there's, you know, just like with the alcohol, there's a lot of people that don't, you know, that the, the, the line of what's normal in, you know, what's normal and what's not normal is very difficult to, and especially with something like, you know, especially with something like sex and sexual behavior, you know, it's almost, uh, uh, how should I say it, like too much is, is, is a is not a concept that most people even will entertain. Right. How can you? How could you have too much sex? Mm-hmm. Well, I think you can. Well, I mean, and, and, and interestingly too, and I know uh, this is a common story in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous, is that it's not how many times people drank, it's where it took them and why they did it. Oh, okay. So you that's know, a, I mean, yeah. I remember running into one. <clears throat> excuse me, on Alcoholics Anonymous, it was she only drank four times a year, mm-hmm. but it's what happened. Yeah. And so it's. It's really about the powerlessness, yeah. And it's really about my motive, you know. So it's, it's, and my life became unmanageable. I mean, it, what what amazed me is that, especially with the advent of the internet, mm. because my primary uh, behavioral type is pornography, mm-hmm. voyeurism, which of course is really the base for that, mm-hmm. and uh, being able to sit at a desk and click, 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 click to the next picture, and you know, oh, I'll, I'll quit, I'll quit at. Uh, Midnight, mm-hmm. and then midnight comes and goes. Oh, I quit at one. Mm-hmm. One, one comes and goes. Oh, I quit at two, three, four, and sometimes the birds are singing. <laughs> <laughs> what the heck happened to the night? Right. You know, it's it's just it, it became uh, something that I could no longer control. And all right, so here's another here's another little thing that I don't know if if you can answer it or or we can just talk about it a little bit, but. There's actually two things I want to I want to talk about. One is um, is there's there's chemical addictions like alcoholism and alcohol and drug addiction that kind of stuff. And then there's what would they call process addictions, which are behavioral things like sex and gambling and maybe overeating, um, whether that falls in there or not. Uh, sh- you know, uh, compulsive shopping that kind of stuff. Process mm-hmm. addictions. Is there a difference in your mind to a process, you know, the process addiction. What, what's happening in, inside for a person with a process addiction versus a person with a chemical addiction? Well, I'm glad you. That's a great segue because that was part of the, the thing, <laughs> one of the things I want to talk to. And I didn't even know it. I, <laughs> right, you know, right. And that's the beautiful right, thing. Here's five bucks. But I'm I really see one of the things that I've learned is that sex has very little to do the actual sexuality of this whole thing really has little to do with the addiction. Yeah. And uh, because it's actually a drug addiction. Mm. Sexual addiction is actually, according to Patrick Carnes, and if, if you're unaware of Patrick Carnes, he's, uh, he's a PhD that has written two real landmark books when it comes to sexual recovery and the nature of the addiction and really what is this? Mm-hmm. How can we identify it? What are the different types? 
what's its origin, that sort of thing. And the book that I, I read pretty frequently and really enjoy is Don't Call It Love, and again by Patrick Kern. Okay, and he also wrote it's, Out of the Shadows? Exactly. That was the first one? Yes, okay. that was the first one, which I haven't read, but everybody I know that reads it says, oh, wonderful stuff. So okay. i got to get off my wide side and do that. But uh, <laughs> one of the things that I thought we'd mention here uh, is out of Patrick Kern's book, I highlighted a couple things I'd like to read you, and that really sure. addresses the nature of this addiction as being all about drugs. Okay. Um, in his book, he, he writes, Thus acting out diffuses anxiety, uh, yet obsession itself is pain relieving. He's talking about the, I think, part of what you're talking about here where we're looking at the obsession mm -hmm. rather than just the consummation of mm -hmm. this thing. Addicts talk about how sexual preoccupation keeps a level of arousal going constantly. In fact, almost all addicts agree that the most of the time, that most of the time, lost to the addiction was spent in obsession and fantasy. Like when I was on the internet, you know, mm -hmm. hours and hours of clicking, but there was no um, climax until yeah. the very end of it. It was just right. hours and hours of being involved with the obsession. It's <clears throat> the ritual. Yes, and here he gets to the uh, to the drug aspect. Many ask how sex can be an addiction when no drug is ingested. Drugs, in fact, are involved in the form of naturally occurring peptides such as endorphins, which govern the electrochemical interactions within the brain. These peptides, this is powerful stuff, here. these peptides par parallel the molecular construction of opates like morphine, but they are many times more powerful. Hmm. So our, it's our own, our own self-made drugs. We're generating that. That we generate. We generate that. Sure. Yeah. So we're carrying around, it's, I really have sympathy and empathy for, not sympathy, but empathy for my friends in OA. Hmm. Because this is something that is natural, normal, as part of the human mm. makeup. This is something we, we do. Sex is normal to a human being. Sure. Eating is normal to a human being. And unlike the alcohol, it's kind of an abnormal thing when I'm drinking. Yeah. Uh, let me go down a little bit of a rabbit trail. In other words, which makes it, which yeah. just, to, just so I understand it, makes it harder in many ways because you're dealing with something that's, that's, that's a normal part of human right. activity. Where alcohol is... Is not a normal part. I mean, right, right. I mean, there are normal drinkers, but you don't have to drink alcohol, right. but you do have to eat. And we're and we're, sex we're, is a natural part of life. Yeah. sexual beings. You know, sure. One of the things <clears throat> early in my uh, recovery, I ran across, as you know, I'm in AA. I ran mm -hmm. across an article by uh, Father John Bell. Mm. You're probably familiar with him. He wrote, I think, in the 40s, 1940s, uh, and he wrote the Golden Books. Yeah. And he compiled those into three books, uh, Sobriety uh, Without End, Sobriety and Beyond, and I can't remember the name of the third one. But in one of those books... How could you beat either of those two anyway? Yeah, that's, pretty, that's a pretty good lineup. You, you know, if, if you haven't read those, yeah. I mean, and you know, the audience listening, if, they are great reading. Hmm. It's amazing how some of these early writings from early sobriety are just yeah. amazing. Father John Doe. Father John Doe. And in one of those two books, I wish I could remember which, there's a chapter in there which uh, is entitled Sex and Sobriety. Hmm. And I'm going to, this is, needs to be broad paraphrases. Okay. But in the first paragraph in that chapter, it's about midway through the book, he says, well, when you're, when you were looking at the table of the contents in this book, if you didn't turn to this chapter first and you're reading this book, you're lying. <laughs> because he says, you know, sex and alcohol and all this are so closely enmeshed. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. just go hand in hand. 
And he further goes on to say, and this really spoke to my heart because it was confusing to me when I came into AA, I was sober in AA for almost 10 years before I really recognized my sexual compulsiveness as mm -hmm. an addiction. And I was treating it largely as the sixth and seventh step in my AA program. This is a, this is not a character defect. Yeah, it's not a character a, defect. Yeah. It wasn't really an area of total powerlessness, right. which my sixth and seventh step in AA became a first step in SLAA is what okay. it amounted to. All right. But he talks about the difference of the SLAA, just for the audience, is yeah. Sex and Love Addicts? Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous. Okay. And again, I'm part of both. SLAA, okay. Sexaholics Anonymous, and Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous. Okay. But the, um, he goes on to say that in AA, usually what happens uh, is that we will find that alcohol is a real problem. Mm -hmm. And sooner or later, we drop to our knees and ask God to remove this compulsion for alcohol. And sooner or later, he does. Mm -hmm. And we go, thank you, God. Mm -hmm. And then after a while, many of us find out that this sexual thing is a real problem. Mm -hmm. And we hit our knees like I did, and he says, and we ask God to take away this problem. And he does it. Mm -hmm. And now there's a whole lot of confusion going on. You know, what's going on? Is God not doing his job? Et mm -hmm. But he, he makes the uh, differentiation uh, that is painfully obvious. He just says that uh, alcohol is an unnatural compulsion. It's a poison. It's mm -hmm. going to kill us. And sex, when properly handled, is good, God-given, creative for enjoyment, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And of course, because he is a, a priest, he says to be held within the confines of marriage. Mm -hmm. So uh, that was really helpful for me because it helped me understand that man, this six and seven step in AA is not going to work on my sexual addiction. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it didn't. It did not for me. Yeah. And again, I'm. This is Bob's story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I get that. It's yeah. Do you want to? Sh um, should we take the time now to talk a little bit about the differences in? You mentioned the four programs, the two that you know well, and what? Well, let me ask you this first. What what is sobriety? What does sexual sobriety mean for you? What what is sobriety? Can we put that one on hold for just a moment? Sure. Before we leave that first question of how would you define sexual addiction, sure. one of the things I'd like to just bring to highlight real mm -hmm. quick, mm -hmm. again out of Karn's book, um, he goes to through extensive research. He's really winnowed down what are the behavioral types. Okay. I'm just going to list them real quick. Okay, He sure. came down with 11 because I think this might be helpful for anyone listening and saying, sure. gee, I wonder if, you know? Yeah. Uh, with me, it wasn't a problem. I didn't wonder it. <laughs> but there's uh, fantasy sex. Uh, number two, seduction role sex. Uh, anonymous sex. Can you say what, maybe just briefly what each one of these things okay, is? Okay, well, I could actually read his little annotated thing. There you yeah, because yeah, I think it might help people yeah, okay. to have a definition. Number one, fantasy sex. Um, thinking, obsessing about sexual adventures. Inordinate amounts of time spent losing self and fantasy about future and past, neglecting commitments because of fantasy life, okay. uh, dramatizing a particular role in your fantasy, creating sexualizing or seducing atmospheres that you prefer to keep as fantasy and not act on, spending a large amount of time preparing for sexual episode. Okay. Uh, the second one, seductive role sex, uh, having many relationships at the same time or one, uh, or one after another, using seduction to gain power over others. Flirtatious, seductive behaviors. Uh, anonymous sex, number three. Engaging in sex with anonymous partners, cruising, beaches, parks, parking lots, restrooms, etc. Mm -hmm. Number four, paying for sex. Uh, paying for sexual explicit phone calls. 
using escort or phone service, paying someone for sexual activities, patronizing saunas, etc., massage parlors. Mm -hmm. Five, trading sex, making sexually explicit videotapes and photographs, posing for sexually explicit videotapes, photographs, exposing yourself on stage or for hire. Number six, voyeuristic sex, sex uh, using sexually explicit magazines, internet, videotapes, collections of pornography, sexualizing others in public, mm. uh, sexualizing materials not sexually explicit. Um, seven, ex exhibitionism sex, exhibitionist sex, exposing yourself in public places such as parks, streets, schoolyards, uh, from your home, from your car, uh, dressing and undressing in public, uh, using choice of clothing to expose yourself, nudist club, sex partners. Mm -hmm. Number eight, intrusive sex, making inappropriate sexual advances or gestures, touching or fondling others without permission, using sexually explicit stories, humor, or language at inappropriate times or places, using a power position, professional clergy employer to exploit. Nine, pain exchange. Receiving physical harm or pain during sexual activity to intensify sexual pleasure, causing physical harm or pain to partner to intensify sexual pleasure, uh, willingly give up power or acting out. So that would be the dominant yeah. submissive routine? Yeah, BDSMs and stuff yeah. like that. Uh, number ten, obje object sex. Masturbating with objects, cross-dressing to aid to sexual pleasure, using fetishes as part of sexual rituals, engaging in sexual activity with animals. And lastly, 11, sex with children, sharing inappropriate sexual information with children, exposing children to adult sexual activities, forcing sexual activity on children within or outside the family, engaging in sex with a consenting minor, watching child pornography. One of the things that uh, Carnes goes on to mention is he says most sex addicts are, don't just have one of these, of the mm. 11 varieties. Yeah. Usually it's kind of a blend. Right. Because I, uh, mine play out as fantasy sex. Mm -hmm. uh, when I use pornography, mm -hmm. seductive role sex, my flirtatiousness mm. with people who are uh, my junior, say, you know, with a 20-year-old waitress. Or, mm -hmm. You know, here I'm in my early 60s. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I also voyeuristic sex, which is also the way I play out with pictures, mm -hmm. either pornography or, you know, it's amazing mm -hmm. how I can see something on my computer. Mm -hmm. I'll bring up AOL or Yahoo, mm -hmm. and there will be the face of a woman, and I can feel my physiology change. Mm -hmm. It's just amazing to me. Mm -hmm. you know? So I, I have very, very sharp um, bottom line behavior restrictions when it comes to use of uh, the internet and that sort of thing. Okay, which that'll probably bring us to the next. We'll get into that yeah, topic. I'd love to talk. I do about want to that. ask you to define another thing for me because you use the term sure. uh, sexualizing. Mm -hmm. You know, and just just for the you know, I mean, just for the sake of a listening audience, what would what is, what is sexualizing? What does that mean? Well, for me, it's it's uh, easy for me to be driving. Here it is, a beautiful day. Mm -hmm. We're in July, and I can be driving down the road and see a, a woman in shorts walking down the street and my fantasy world will start taking me into, oh, what if? Mm. What if we met? What if this was her? Mm. You know? And uh, one of the things before we leave the whole drug aspect, this is going to okay. work in pretty nicely, is okay. that 
while the release is very, very high, powerful peptides, you know, mm-hmm. much like morphine, mm-hmm. there's also this, uh, there's uh, a chemical reaction when people get into the limerence of uh, fantasizing or falling in love. And again, falling in love is very normal. Mm-hmm. I think that M. Scott Peck talks about this. This is like a cathexis when our walls drop down and we start to join with another person and mm-hmm. there's there's this rush of love coming on where we're going to make mm-hmm. a decision, a commitment that we wouldn't normally make in our right, right minds. And, right. And uh, what was surprising to me, because I am a fantasy person, was he talks about, let's see if I can find it here in his book again, Don't Call It Love. He talks about the uh, drug involved with that called PEA, which is phenylethylamine. And it has a molecular structure, I'm going to quote here, which parallels that of amphetamines and creates a high arousal state. The mood-altering effect of PEA is immediate but short-lived. Mm. Its intense impact tapers off as the romantic gets into the into, gets past the initial limerence stage to the bonding or the long-term attachment. So this PEA, for me, when I get into this fantasy thing, when I'm sexualizing things, I can actually feel the change in my body. I can feel the change in my thinking. i got to say something. i got to say that... that that another way to say that would be love crack. Yeah, love crack. crack. It's, exactly, it's a rush. It's, <laughs> it's a rush. Just, yeah. I can I feel myself doing yeah. it, and I pull myself back now. Yeah. When you talk about it being like, you know, the similarities to drugs, we're, you know, I mean, I think most people would realize we're we're wired that way. You know, mm-hmm. if we don't, you know, if we don't have sexual contact, we don't procreate. That's like species, you know, you know that's, that's built into life. That's part of it. Absolutely. And I couldn't agree with you more, Chris, and I think that that's why I keep coming back to me. The first step in the program of of recovery is I had to admit that I was powerless over this Mm. and that my uh, life had become unmanageable as a result of it. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'd be happy to talk with you a little bit, too, about how SLAA uh, defines bottom line behavior, what is Mm -hmm. sobriety. Yeah. SA, how they mm-hmm. define it. I'll do some quoting out of their books on that. Okay. Uh, last point before we leave the, the drug part of this. So, and you're right, we carry all these drugs with us. But, you know, did it get out of hand? It did for me. Yeah. With normal people? No. Right. And there's no, there's no real um, way to explain that, why it happens to one person and yeah. not another, other than, you know, the. Some people maybe are born with a busted switch or yeah, their switch goes south or some whatever. Some are predisposed, and I think we'll get to this, because mm-hmm. there are some things that can happen that actually predispose some of us for sexual addiction. That would be, I think that would be a really good thing to talk about. The last thing on the drug aspect is uh, the, the danger aspect. Mm-hmm. And, the, and people who are involved with, and again, I draw on the friends of mine that I listen to in, in meetings, but people who are involved with public sex or mm or sex with a minor or something, there's mm-hmm. this danger thing. And there's actually a chemistry that goes on there. I don't, I'm not sure I can pronounce this properly, but again, M. Scott Peck talks about, he says here, I'll just quote, many studies uh, underlined show the existence of low levels of mono, monoamine oxidase, MAO, as a biological factor in seeking high risk. Hmm. MAO is an enzyme that regulates the neurotransmissions of arousal in the brain. In compulsive gambling, we are already able to link alterations of brain chemistry with different levels of risk. Perhaps we are able to do so the same for sex. Hmm. So, because I know, for me, you know, if if there's danger, one of the things I did when I was in my drinking mm-hmm. and my sexual act, and they were all blended together, is I ran around with married women. 
Mm-hmm. And that was a high-risk thing. Mm-hmm. And there was a, there was an ultra-rush when it came to that. Because I knew I could, somebody could be putting a six-gun in my head one of these days. Right, right. Yeah. So there was, there was that rush involved, too. Mm-hmm. Where were we going from here? Well, I think uh, we were going to talk about the, the definition of what's, what's sobriety. Maybe, do you want to you wanna take a, let's take a quick break and just, you know, take a breather for just a minute. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Uh, enjoy the enjoy the music in the in the meantime, and we'll be back in just a couple. He slammed the door behind him. Called his daddy dumb. He left home with tomorrow. Riding on his
Thanks for uh, being with us. And if you're just joining us, we've got Bob here, and uh, I'd like to get back to the discussion here. I'm gonna I'm gonna pass it over to pass it over to these fine gentlemen here. Okay. Thank you, Chris. Um, again, recovered from sexual addiction, and we're talking to Bob. And um, I think where we we one of the questions that we were lead, you know we were leaning into here was. Um, there's some differences in the recovery programs oh, yeah. and what and what sobriety actually means. Right. Ready to talk about that a little bit? Oh, sure. Yeah. Okay. And I have, as you know, I have personal experience with two of the four programs. Okay. Uh, my initial contact with uh, sexual recovery was with Sexaholics Anonymous. Mm -hmm. uh, everybody knows we're in the Chicago area here, and I actually travel quite a bit in my business. So, um, when I'm in this area, because the essay meetings, sexual, uh, Sexaholics Anonymous meetings, mm -hmm. are more available to me, I attend to those. Mm -hmm. uh, when I'm other parts of the country, I am a more active member in Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous. Mm -hmm. um, is that is that a more uh, is there more more of those types of meetings of, out there or? Well, it, you know, it's good. It's a good question. Uh, Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous, if I remember my history correctly, was uh, initiated on the East Coast. Okay. It might have been Philadelphia, somewhere there. And okay. I think their main office may right now be in Boston. Okay. So while I live out there, there are more meetings more available. Just because are, of where it started. Yeah, right. Yeah. And yet I live in an area out there where it takes me an hour and 15 minute drive one way to go to a meeting. Mm. So it's it's a full evening commitment. Mm -hmm. um, but when I reach my bottom, that became, commitment became easy to make. Yeah. yeah. But to the differences, sex... Um, Sexaholics Anonymous is the most uh, strict and strict in their definition of sobriety. Okay. Um, Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous, uh, I know from personal experience, allows a person to more uh, personally define their own sobriety. Okay. Um, and again, I'm really unaware of the others, but from what I've read, they're more along the line of SLAA. Okay. Um, in the big book of Sexaholics Anonymous, they define sobriety. Let's see if I can find it here real quickly. Um, this is about a page long. It's good stuff. We can speak only for ourselves. The specialized nature of Sexaholics Anonymous can best be understood in terms of what we call the sexaholic. The sexaholic has taken himself or herself out of the whole context of what is right and wrong. He or she has lost control, no longer has the power of choice, is not free to stop. Lust has become an addiction. Our situation is like that of the alcoholic who could no longer tolerate alcohol and must stop drinking altogether, but is hooked and cannot stop. So it is with the sexaholic or sex drunk who can no longer tolerate lust but cannot stop. Thus, for the sexaholic, any form of sex with oneself or with partners other than the spouse is progressively addictive and destructive. You can see there how strict they are with their sure. definition. We, see, we also see that lust is the driving force behind our sexual acting out, and true sobriety includes progressive victory over lust. These conclusions were forced upon us by the crucible of our experience of recovery. We have no other exceptions. Excuse me, we have no other options. But we have found that acceptance of these facts is the key to a happy and joyous freedom from which we otherwise could never know. This will and should discourage many inquirers who admit to sexual obsession or compulsion, but who simply want to control and enjoy it. It's like an alcoholic, and these are my words, it's like mm -hmm. an alcoholic that goes to an AA meeting and has a drink on the way home or on the way in. Right. You know, and it's, what we're trying to do is quit. 
<laughs> right. <laughs> right. Stay stopped. Stay stopped. Yeah. Right. Uh, much as the alcoholic would like to control and enjoy drinking, until we had been driven to the point of despair, mm. until we really wanted to stop but could not, we did not give ourselves to this program of recovery. Sexaholics Anonymous is for those who know they have no other option but to stop, and their own enlightened self-interest must mm -hmm. tell them this. Okay. So they are uh, monogamous, married, relationship, with the opposite sex, sex within that, not with yourself, no masturbation, mm -hmm. is their definition of sexual sobriety. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I learned in that, and I'll get to SLAA in a moment, is that when I was in SA meetings, uh, I only met one gentleman who was single who had any kind of long-term sobriety. Mm. Every other man, and again, my, I'm this, my name's Bob, and I'm a sex addict. You know? <laughs> I mean, I, my experience is limited to my experience. Sure. So, for me, being a single guy, uh, sobriety for me would sometimes last 30, 60 days, and I would masturbate, and I'd lose my sobriety. For me, mm -hmm. that built the shame and the yeah. dis disappointment. And sure. It was, it was hard. When I started attending SLAA, they get into a, a self-defined... Uh, bottom line behaviors is what they call it. Mm -hmm. And their bottom line behaviors, with the help of a, uh, a sponsor, are defined by the individual. Um, with the help of a sponsor? With the, in my case, with the mm -hmm. help of a sponsor. Okay. Because, you know, I'm slippery. I'm an addict. Sure. You know, because there is a part of me that just wants to still enjoy my addiction. Sure. And, mm -hmm. I mean, in Alcoholics Anonymous, if I could drink in safety, I'd probably still be drinking. Sure. If I could act out in sexual addiction... Just I a wine know. cooler. Right. Mike's hard lemonade. <laughs> <laughs> you know, what, what, if I could just... But you know one of the things I've found, and I, this is just really... I can't tolerate one drink. I can't look at one picture. I can't entertain one fantasy. I can't lead some woman emotionally astray by... Uh, inappropriate flirtation, selfishness anymore. I can't do that. And these are parts of my bottom line behavior, which I can get in with. Mm -hmm. Because it just starts the whole thing wrong. Sure. It just be like taking the first beer. Sure. Rings the bell. Destination can't, can't unring it. Yeah. You know, Destination I mean, unknown. They tell you, stay out of beginnings. <laughs> right. I, mean, mm -hmm. I have to stay out of beginnings. The SLAA big book on page 105 really gets into their definitions. Mm -hmm. um, there are different ways... Uh, and I'm quoting, uh, sex and love addicts have started this process. The end result is the same. Addictive sexual and emotional behavior on a daily basis stops. It also does not matter what the specifics of your own pattern of sex and love addiction have been, although it is important that you identify your own pattern. Some of these patterns have included one-night stands, frantic sexual li liaisons with no emotional ties, manic masturbation, ex exhibitionism, and or voyeurism. Others have involved obsessive intrigue with or dependency on one or many people uh, with the conviction that without an other, we would be at death's door. Regardless of, what, of which pattern is yours, it has to stop. Um, I'll interject here. I think that sometimes from other programs, they think that SLAA really isn't true recovery because you, know, you can define your own sexual... Right. Addiction. No. Whatever, whatever your bottom line behavior is, it stops. Hmm. 
Um, no matter how I'll continue. No matter how powerfully your thoughts and feelings are tugging at you to continue indulging, you cease acting on them. It is this point when you finally stop that really signals the start of your S recovery in SLAA, and the day on which it starts is your personal sobriety date. Um, I'm going to skip forward a little bit for the sake of time. Some of us approach within withdrawal gradually, chipping away at an obvious problem areas. Even marginal success in doing so increased our awareness of other aspects of the addictive pattern that we really hadn't known were there, the peeling of the onion. Mm -hmm. uh, this process of increasing awareness led inevitably to final surrender of the whole addictive pattern, and thus we were launched into withdrawal and sexual and emotional sobriety. So you can kind of see the difference. Yeah. One of the things I notice is that you know, I sit with friends in SLAA meetings, mm -hmm that are a gay and lesbian lifestyle, mm -hmm. but are living their definition, which is usually monogamous right. relationship right. with a committed partner, usually not in marriage, depending on their preference in law, but it, it's their definition. Right, which that, that would not right. work well with, with essay right. because of the monogamous uh, heterosexual right. aspect so, of it. So if anyone is listening, what I've noticed on the four websites that I've gone to, mm. each one of them is very careful in, in describing their definitions of sobriety. Mm -hmm. And so if anybody is even curious, thinking, oh, gosh, I bought a Playboy from time to time, or, gee, I've dated two or three people at once. Mm -hmm. You know, is it, maybe there's something wrong. I would encourage anyone to look at the websites and just say, you know, read through them. Sure. Uh, there's phone numbers. You can talk to people. There are, uh, many of them have uh, online meetings. You could do with great anonymity. Mm -hmm. uh, so just investigate. You know, if, mm -hmm. if you're curious, what do you got to lose? You know? Now there's two. Uh, okay, so that's good. So check it out, and that, and that information will also right. be shortly on on our website to to be able to get to those. Yes, sir. Um, uh, a couple other things I, I know we wanted to talk about. One is, uh, were there things in your uh, history, or are there things in general that you can say about uh, about people about people recover sexually recovering people? Uh, you know, are there things in their background that would would predispose or would be warning signs, or would be things that you might look for? Actually, looking back now, um, you know, warning signs for you, and that's that's one thing I want to talk about. We can probably start there, and then the other thing is. You mentioned, a, 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 I think it was maybe it was at the break, we were talking about how much shame is associated with sexual addiction right. and how pe recovering people in, in these programs have yeah. to deal with so much shame. Yeah. So I kind of want to have you talk about both of those things. You can start wherever's comfortable for you. Okay. Um, yeah, remind me of the shame question after we get into the first Okay, let's, first let's talk that. about the, the other stuff um, then. There's actually two parts to that, if I heard you correctly, or maybe it's just the way I was processing, but uh, part of it is my story. Yeah. You know, were there red flags along the way? How did I find myself at the first step? Yeah. And also, is there a predisposition? Yeah, both of those things. And so I'll tell a little bit about my story first, because mm -hmm. then I didn't realize until into sobriety that, yeah, I guess I was predisposed in some ways. Mm -hmm. But I, I'm one of those people, as you know, I'm a recovered alcoholic. And I started drinking when I was 12 years old. Mm -hmm. And often for years, I thought that uh, alcoholism, drug addiction was my primary addiction. Mm -hmm. It's not. Mm -hmm. uh, when I was a little guy, and I'm thinking probably four, five, six years old, uh, 
I would rock myself to sleep and I would apply pressure to myself, my genitals, in such a way that I would find a release of some kind. It was some kind of orgasm even at that age. Mm -hmm. And without knowing it, I was already masking. Mm. I was already masking emotions. I lived in a, uh, in a family that uh, would be pretty much the Ozzie and Harriet thing mm. of days of old. Mm -hmm. You know, the normal picture of, sure. of a normal life and... I'll get to that later on because yeah. of my predisposition. But I didn't think there was anything wrong. Um, when I was six or seven years old, I remember looking at a Post magazine or a Life magazine. can't remember which. And there was an advertisement for a movie which had a woman in there mm -hmm. that had leotards on. Uh, skimpy, not nude. Mm -hmm. But I experienced what I think was probably my first erection. Mm. And I said, this feels good. Which means this is good. <laughs> yeah. And if this is good, and it's taking me kind of out of where the ever the heck I'm living, because I all my life have felt ill at ease in my own body, uncomfortable mm. with other people, with myself, mm. and anything that would divert me from that. And sex was the first thing long before alcohol. Um, so I became I started masturbating at least mm. by the time I was in junior high. Mm -hmm. but, uh, and so I would I noticed that without even having discovered a Playboy or any nudity that these non-nude pictures were taking me somewhere where I enjoyed being. Mm -hmm. So my addiction to sex was before my addiction to alcohol. Mm -hmm. um, one of the red flags I had was uh, again back then the Playboy penthouse you know whatever you could get a hold of. Mm -hmm. What's wrong with beating off? Mm -hmm. You know, sure and it felt good and everybody did it. Yeah, and it was kind of the thing we all learned to do. Um, but when I started dating in high school, I remember specifically a date that I went on, I think I may have been a junior in high school, where I, I went out with a girl, first date, and we came back, and at a stop sign on the way home, I leaned over and gave her a kiss, and she didn't resist. So, of course, I figured being the macho guy I was, the next thing was to do was to grab her breasts and start going from first base to second base as far as around the bases <laughs> I could go. Right. And uh, again, she didn't resist. And so every stop sign that came up, man, we, were, we were parking. You know? There should have been a parking meter there. And I dropped her off, said goodnight, and uh, went to school the next um, couple of days later. And I was looking for her and couldn't find her in any of her normal haunts in the hallways. And I asked somebody, where is she? And she says, she doesn't want to see you. Said, what? And I could feel my heart drop, hmm. you know, just that embarrassment. And she said, this friend of mine said, uh, she thinks you're a sex maniac. Hmm. And I just went, I just couldn't believe the embarrassment and the shame we talked about. Mm -hmm. And part of my addictive structure uh, is not to talk about stuff, mm. keeping secrets. Sure. One of my lines out of the S.A. Big Book that I love is, says, lust cannot survive the light. Mm. You know, so breaking the, the, yeah. the secrecy pattern is so important. Sure. But I went, I actually went to her house uh and knocked on the door because I wanted to make my amends, apologize, what did I do wrong? Because what I was doing, I thought was normal. Yeah. But it had gone beyond the normal, mm. as I found already. Sure. And her parents came to the door and said, she doesn't want to see you. And of course, I didn't discuss this with anybody. So it just started the spiral. So that went underground. Right. Yeah. And so I was uh, involved, you know, in college, uh, I would always have the I thought it was a sign of maturity or machoism. You know, I'd have the Playboy stacked up for the penthouse, whatever. And mm -hmm. for me, dating was always about just trying to get sexual. Mm -hmm. You know, um, pornography on the internet again when that started playing in, the hours would pen up. But what really brought me to my bottom uh, 
was an experience that I had in, golly, it's been over 10 years ago, but uh, I had already been attending meetings and had sporadic spurts and starts and thrusts of, of sobriety. But I was sitting at my desk one day and a lot was going on in my life. And I was, again, back to meetings, but not with the commitment that I have today. And uh, I had sworn off, you know, again. Mm -hmm. I'd taken oaths again. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to do that again. And I ended up uh, clicking on a website that had no nudity, but it was all about pictures of girls. And I stood up from my desk. I turned away from my computer. And the decision to commit suicide was made. Hmm. Like that. It was the most, and it was, for anybody who hasn't made a decision to commit suicide, I've heard all the things, you know. Oh, why don't you think of us and so, or the family, or whatever. That doesn't even enter in. Mm -hmm. For me, it was, a, at least in my experience, my, my experience was, it was like a, a safety valve, a pressure valve. And for the next five days, I planned my, my suicide. And mm -hmm. every pressure, every discussion I had with everybody was precious. And, uh, and the long, suicide, the suicide would be a relief. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No more battles to right. fight. No right. more wars to win. Right. Uh, and no more promises I lived to break more peace in that. Yeah, I, I, yeah I, I lived in more peace in those five days than I ever had in my life. Uh, every breath was precious. Every conversation was precious mm -hmm. and meaningful. Mm -hmm. um, because I was on the way out, man. I'm gone. Mm -hmm. But the point of this discussion was, and God intervened at that. I won't get into the details of that and brought me back from that. Mm -hmm. But I... Uh, the point is, is that this is as fatal a disease as any other, as any other. Mm -hmm. In my case, it was the suicide decision. In other people's cases, you know, there are many diseases. Uh, there's mad husbands or wives. There's all kinds of ways. There sure. are people that get in accidents while they're masturbating mm -hmm. going down the road. Mm -hmm. uh, so this is just as fatal as any other. And that experience really turned my head. Mm. Uh, I said, this, this is dangerous. Mm. Where were we going from here, um, I think what we were were going to go into the into the shame predisposition predisposition. Okay. okay, I do want to touch on this because this surprised me. Okay, um, Carnes and I'm probably not going to quote here, but I'll tell you my experience. But there's in his book, there's some great stuff on this, mm -hmm. and this again surprised me. When I got into sobriety, sexual sobriety, the onion started peeling again, mm -hmm. and uh, we had I started to remember things from my past. A mm -hmm. lot of my childhood, I did not remember. Mm. sexual sobriety. I'm still learning things. Mm. Um, and I never would have agreed with anybody that I was sexually, or not sexually, but abused as a child. Yeah. But guess what? Mm. I experienced childhood abuse. Mm. Um, Carnes points out that there are many different kinds of abuse. And he also points out that neglect and uh, Withdrawal of affection, withdrawal of mm. love, the lack of touching is probably the worst. Mm. One of the things that he points out is that uh, it's a cumulative effect, which I thought was really interesting. Mm -hmm. Because I always looked at people who are raped at six years old. Boy, that, that's sexual abuse. Sure. You know, yeah. you've got a priest in there or an uncle in there or whatever in there, and they're, uh, that's horrible. And it is. But for me, it's a cumulative effect. Say if you take, and he has a graph in his book, which is wonderful. Say if you take a 10-year period, and someone is raped once in that period, and you assign that as a 10 of horribleness, you know, 1 to 10. Right. In my case, my neglect on a daily basis, that may have been a tenth of a point. Right. But it happened every day. So, so that, that yeah. cumulative effect is equal to, if not greater. Sure. Yeah. So 
I, and it's harder to see, it's harder to measure, and it's and it, it, it's it's harder to to then to identify to ex, and then to accept it. Like you, it took right. you all this time to right. come to. It wasn't until this. I read Carnes. Yeah, I was abused. Yeah, I was abused and and uh, significantly. Right. Um, and what amazed me, and I love sobriety because before my parents passed, I was able to talk to my parents about this, mm. and I understood why. Uh, and again, we don't need to get into that, but I, it was a wonderful experience for me to talk to them and, and have, mm. and they owned what they had done for mm-hmm. good motive, but it was it was, uh, it was inappropriate, it was harmful. But what that also something that happened in my childhood was, was my mother. She was very provincial. She uh, when she would, I remember a specific time when she bathed me. Mm. Uh, and she touched my genitals, you could feel her pull away and say, oh, you washed that. So I learned shame very early about my genitals. Mm-hmm. And so I had this significant shame building because of my activities, but I also had the shame base starting very early in my youth. So the shame really became a large part of this, mm. this addiction for me. And there's nothing like acting out to cover up shame, which yeah. perpetuates the shame cycle. Right, because yeah. shame is, the, is, is, is so tough to talk about and yeah. so... You know, it, it's so much undercover, right. and then the more you cover it, the more you. Oh yeah. The it, more you have it. It has its own hunger. It's amazing. <laughs> it it really, yeah. It really does. Okay. And I sit in meetings with folks who have spent time in jail for pedophilia and all kinds mm-hmm. of things. Those guys and gals are carrying a lot of a lot of shame. Yeah. And, and not to minimize mine, but sure, it's amazing what you see in these rooms. Sure. Okay. But the ability to talk about them, again, stepping out from the darkness into the light, is, is so freeing. Like any twelve-step recovery program, it's 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 wonderful. So what? So a, a, a couple of things by way of of, of maybe uh, beginning to wrap up a little bit here sure. is what is what is uh, uh, what does it feel like to you now to be a sexually recovering person? What's that? What what is that like? Holy smokes! We're wrapping this up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Can you, can you give me that? Can you give me that in? Uh, yeah, you know, in two seconds. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, God, it's it's exciting. Yeah. Um, it's there's there's a phase that uh, like so many things when you learn about things there's you know, there's there's grief cycles there's anger cycles there's all kinds of things because one of the things again at my age is that I realized that I wasted so many hours. Um, Chasing after things that I neglected a lot of things. Mm-hmm. My retirement could be a lot better, and had I spent more time mm-hmm. with uh, money management and that sort of thing, I I would be in much better shape than I am today. Yeah, I've never had a family of my own, and that's mm-hmm. because I spent all my time with two-dimensional women instead of three-dimensional women. Yeah, the paper uh, ones. Yeah, and, yeah. and the and the one yeah they were they weren't saying no, mm-hmm. and the ones in the three-dimensional women that I did have, uh, God bless them, they they tried. I've mean, mm-hmm. met some wonderful women that would have accepted my invitation, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but I couldn't take the step. Yeah, they couldn't compete. Yeah, you know, with the addiction. And so I have, I have a lot of uh, there's some sadness around that. Sadness and yeah. anger at the disease. Yeah. For a while, I was angry at me. Yeah. You know, and and luckily, the the notion and the understanding that I have a disease has helped me say, yeah. And the forgiveness of God. I mean, you can't talk about 12-step recovery without talking about a higher power. God is I will never understand him. Mm -hmm. Who takes a guy who has done all the things I've done just through the steps. Mm -hmm. Get honest with me. Mm -hmm. Come and talk with me with another individual involved. Tell me what you've done. I already know. 
Yeah. I want you to relieve yourself of the burden of the shame, right. the guilt. I want you to come into health and wholeness. I want you to gain an understanding of me and my love, my service to others, and then I want you to give it back. Mm. And that's why I'm so grateful that you have me here today because in a small way, I'm hoping that somebody, anybody, anybody says, in some small way, you could just say, hey, maybe me too. Mm-hmm. And the hope, one of the things I think that I want to emphasize right as we're leaving here, there is recovery. There is recovery. Mm-hmm. And it may be different from other 12-step programs, but today I am sober. Mm-hmm. Today I'm not acting out. Yeah. Today I have tools, and I have an understanding of myself. Today I live in the grace of God and my friends. Mm-hmm. And How could you be more grateful than that? Yeah. Have I got a long way to go? Holy smokes, are you kidding me? Absolutely. I'll probably listen to this next week and say, who is that? (laughs) (laughs) Who is that idiot? But uh, I am so grateful for the sobriety I have today and the fact that there are these 12-step programs. I mean, can you imagine what life would be without recovery? So anyway, thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for coming. And by the way, that was a a beautiful job of saying what, what your recovery is and what it means to you in, like... You know, in about a minute. <laughs> Two yeah, you got it. It was actually, you actually did a, a, a terrific job. And so we don't have to edit that out? <laughs> no, we don't have to edit that out. I think that that's, that's great. And uh, so thank you for coming. Thanks for being open. And, you know, who knows, maybe we would have, um, you know, room to do another another show about this. You know, let's, let's, see, what the, let's see what the listener listener interest and let's see what the listener response is to the show and uh and maybe we'll have some questions or some feedback from you know from our listeners and then we can we can take that material and and see what see where we would like to go with it i would really welcome that i like that idea especially from the listeners yeah i want to i i really want to hear uh you know, I do my best to ask the questions I think mm-hmm. listeners want to mm-hmm. want to know about, but I don't I don't know unless I I hear from them. So let's see what let's see what happens. And if you're open for for another show at some point, I'd love I'd love that. That'd be great. Yeah. Okay. Well, again, I appreciate your coming and Absolutely. and uh, you know. So thank you, Bob, and uh, to our listeners out there, to uh, to everybody that uh, supports us in our little recovering community here. Um, we'll send out uh, reminders for. Um, uh, next week's show, usually at the end of the week. If you want to be on our email reminder list, you can go to our website and sign up, and I'll make sure that you get uh, a reminder. And they're great little reminders. They're very nice. Yeah. I think you'll enjoy it. Good pictures. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, uh, interesting stuff. Uh, so remember to check recoveryinternetradio.com. Um, and I'm not even going to make you repeat it because I can tell your allergies are killing you. A little sniffly over here. <laughs> But you were pretty good. I didn't hear one single sniff or snort during the during our conversation. Uh, remember, too, that we want to hear from you, our listeners, so we know where you are and so we know what you want to hear. Um, and as always, live today, love yourself and your neighbor, and together we'll trudge the happy road to destiny. We hope you've enjoyed the show, and we'll see you at 8 p.m. next Sunday night. Thanks for listening.